Let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. We have gathered this morning at East Gordon to do something very special, something which God has ordained as a means of grace in your life right now for your edification so that you may be conformed to the image of Christ. We have gathered for the proclamation of of the Word of God. So may our hearts be prepared for this special time of worship, for that is exactly what our what what we have come and gathered to do this morning. That's exactly what our focus has been for the past several uh, weeks or months as we have been going through our sermon series, which we are calling Philippians, the Epistle of Joy. And most recently, we have been focusing in on the problem of complaining and the very real and problematic impact which the act of complaining has upon our worship of God. And we've truly been going through a journey as we have searched Philippians in relation to this topic. This morning we are in the fourth and final part of what we have been calling Don't Grumble, don't dispute as it relates to the problem of complaining. So let's get started. We're going to start in verse 14 and we'll read all the way through verse 18. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And praise God, Soli Dea Gloria, for the reading of his word today. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you ever look at another Christian, whenever you meet a different Christian, and when you see what God is doing in their life, when you see what's happening in their life, do you ever, do you ever, have you ever met another Christian that when you look at them, it makes you wonder, am I doing this whole Christianity thing the right way? Have you ever met another believer whose walk with God is something that you aspire to have in your life? Have you ever met another believer whose love is where you aspire for your love to be? You see their understanding of Scripture. You see, their, well, you see what their prayer life looks like. You see their obedience to God. You see what their worship life looks like. You see all of these amazing things in your, in, in, that's happening in their life. And then you look at yourself 
And you don't necessarily see all of those same things happening, or at least not at the same speed, perhaps, as is happening in another person's life. And we begin to feel guilty when we see that sometimes. We feel less about ourselves. We feel less about our faith. We feel less about our walk with God. And we begin to seriously look in the mirror and ask ourselves, and begin to ask ourselves some very serious questions about our faith. But then there's some of us who in the midst of feeling convicted about, about where we are, perhaps convicted about where, where you may be in your walk with, with God, you will be reminded of what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, where Paul tells us that each of us are called to serve the Lord in a different way. That not all of us are, are equipped to serve in one capacity, but we are equipped to serve in, in some capacity. But hear me when I say this, and I'm no, in no way belittle, belittling the very real biblical truth which Paul proclaims there. However, I am convinced that many of us, that there are many Christians today who will take that very real and very true biblical concept and blow it out of proportions so as to use it as an excuse using as an excuse as to why we are not living up to the full potential of what God has called us and equipped us to do and to be by His sufficient grace. And so instead of living, uh, living sold out for the cause of Christ, we settle for less and then we get comfortable there when in reality we should be convicted about our lack of faith. Because here's the thing. God did not give us the gift of the church so that our faith could go on cruise control, so to speak. God gave us the gift of the church so that we are in a covenant relationship with each other. And in that covenant relationship, we want to see each other grow. We want to facilitate spiritual growth in your life. We want to see spiritual uh, uh, hindrances be resolved. We want to see spiritual problems and strongholds be set free. We want to see, just as we were seeing moments ago, we want to see chains that have rubbed our wrists raw we want to see those chains broken. And that means we intentionally care for each other in each other's respective walks with the Lord because you don't live out the Christian life on an island. You don't live out the Christian life by yourself. You live out the Christian life in the community and the body and the fellowship of the church. And so we do that for growth, for spiritual growth. Look with me at Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. The passage reads, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that, he, that, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of, of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you see the church is here to help facilitate spiritual growth. You see, we're here to help spur and stir one another along to live for the glory of God. And this is something that's very important for us here at East Gordon, for it is our mission to train others to live for the glory of God as presented to us in the Bible. Now, I say all of this because over this past week, I have been completely blown away, encouraged, convicted, and mesmerized by the life of the Apostle Paul, especially by what he says here in verse 17. Let's read it together, Philippians 2.17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now, did you hear what Paul just said there? Well, and, and, and we'll, we'll go into the, the specific images that he's talking about in a minute. But, but suffice it to say, in case you missed it, Paul just said, even if I must suffer, even if I must go through pain, even if I must go through struggle, heartache, even if I must go through a trouble and a trial, I will not complain, but instead... I'm going to be glad and rejoice. Now, how, how incredible is that? Like, like Paul is, is saying, I'm, going to, I'm not going to let complaint rule me. I'm not going to let my problems direct my path. I'm not going to let my worries direct the time of my day. But rather, my life is here for the worship and the glory of God. And so I will not complain. I will not uh, uh, grumble. I will not dispute. But instead, my voice will be used to be glad and rejoice in the Lord. I want you to do something. Just for a moment, I want you to think over this past week. Think over this past week and think of all the times in which you had something to complain about. Perhaps it was a situation with your spouse and you had something to complain about there. Perhaps it was with your children or your grandchildren. Perhaps it was a situation at work and there was something to complain about, about there. Or perhaps it was about the state of the world or government or world affairs at, at large. Whatever the case may be, I want you to do something else as well. Think back over this past week to each time that you intentionally sat before the presence of God 
in awe and worship of him. Because God created us for worship. And Christ died so that we could worship. And yet, what do we do? So very often, we spend our days being ruled by our complaints. This is a reality which should uh, be in which we should be in guilt over something which we should which should cause our hearts to melt and break. It is something that we have sinned against the Lord uh, in regards to our Maker and our Redeemer. And yet, how? And yet, do you do you know what is so interesting to me about this sin problem that's in my heart and is in your heart? It's that the moment that any one of us gets confronted about our sin, about our mistake, whatever it is, in this case it's the example of complaint, uh, fill in the blank for whatever, it's, 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 uh, uh, it's practical for, for any situation of sin. The moment that we are confronted about our sin problem, that's the moment that we try to come up with our, when our inner lawyer begins to chime up and we begin to come up with a case of defense for why we did that thing, even though... On some level, we know that we are in the wrong. I encounter this often with students. I'm in the classroom. I'm telling. I'm giving instructions to my students. I'm giving them. Uh, I'm writing out the details of what their assignment is. I'm telling them. I'm giving them the directions. I'm giving them the instructions. And then at the end of it, I say, "And this is an assignment that you are to do individually without talking. I want you to be quiet and I want you to focus on the assignment which I have given you." I turn around. I sit down. I'm working at my desk, and before I have even really gotten started doing whatever it is that I was about to do. I hear little voices. I look up, and they, I'm not joking, but this is a true story. There's a child completely turned around, facing the student behind him, and, and is having a full conversation with them. I say, I, I, I correct the student, I say, do you remember me telling you not to talk during this time, that you're supposed to be working, and, this, and I'm not making this up. This student, with full confidence, says to me, Mr. Rhodes, I wasn't talking. I was asking a question. Now we hear that and we laugh, but hear me, and we should laugh, but hear me when I say this, we do the exact same thing. When we feel convicted about our sin problem, and in this case as it relates to what we're talking about, the issue of complaining, we do the exact same thing. We say things like, well, you just don't know what I have to put up with. You don't know what it's like. You don't know what I go through. And so in our hearts we justify our complaining when in reality that in no way makes the act of complaint right. And let's not forget what Paul's going through in his life as he wrote these words of, I will be glad and rejoice in the Lord. Let's not forget what Paul was going through in his life. When Paul wrote these words, he was in prison. His freedom had been taken from him. He was chained at the wrist to a praetorian guard. His privacy 
was taken away from him. And to top it all off, there were many, many people who were speaking vile, cruel, and hateful things about him behind his back. It was more than enough to cause any one of us to fall into despair, to fall into complete, uh, uh, utter, feel like we're a complete and utter wretch. But Paul says, no, I know who my God is. And so I will worship him. Uh, so I will rejoice in him. Church, through the course of our time in Philippians, I've said this often, but hear me when I say it this morning. We must stop living like our problems are bigger than our God. Because when we give more attention to our problems, then we do our holy, holy holy God, we are doing the very thing which God, or excuse me, which Christ laid down his life so that we wouldn't have to do anymore. We were freed from this. We were freed from the sin. And yet we go back to it again and again and again. And you may not think of it like this, but we can just as easily turn our problems into an idol as easily as we can any pleasure of our life. Because an idol is anything that takes your attention away from God. A good thing, a bad thing, an entertaining thing, a problematic thing, whatever it is, an idol is whatever you give more attention to than you do your Savior. And we are doing that when we complain. When we complain. And that's just simply not how God has called us to live. So let's look what Paul, what the Apostle Paul is doing with these images. I mentioned that there were images in, the, in these passages. And let's see what he is doing with uh, using them to, to say. We have the image of the drink offering in verse 17. And then we have the image of the sacrificial offering. Two different things, not the same thing. Two different things, drink offering, sacrificial offering. But what do these images mean? Well, if you are even a little bit familiar with the Old Testament, then you should already know what the sacrificial offering is, though you may not know that's what it's called. Uh, the sacrificial offering is performed countless and countless and countless of times through the course of the Old Testament, and it was when an animal was sacrificed and placed upon the altar by the priest and a burnt offering was offered before the Lord. That's the sacrificial offering. You should be, That's something that you're more than likely very familiar with. Uh, the priests would do this on behalf of the host of Israel, and in doing so, it was meant to uh, uh, bring about atonement for sins. However, there was a very real problem with the sacrificial offering, and it's that the blood of animals was never enough to fully atone for the sin problem that Israel had. So the sacrificial offering had a dual purpose in the Old Testament. On the one hand, it was an act of obedience on behalf of the Israelites before the presence of God, but on the other hand, it was a foreshadowing of Christ, the perfect and spotless Lamb of God who would come and lay down His life for, on behalf of His people for the forgiveness and remediation of their sins. 
So that is the sacrificial offering. Now, now Paul is using the image of the sacrificial offering in order to make a point, or rather to, to allude to something about the Philippian church. He's talking about their faith in the midst of their current circumstances, or rather their faithfulness to God even in the midst of their suffering. Because here's the thing about Christian living that we don't always like to talk about. To live for Christ, excuse me, as we live for Christ, we're going to go through suffering. We're going to go through pain. We're going to go through heartache. It's something that you are going to experience as a Christian. Because what we are doing by following God is that we are saying no to the sin of this world, to the sin and temptations of our flesh, and we are saying yes to the will of God. We are saying no to the selfishness that is in our hearts and we, were and we are taking up our cross daily, denying our sinful selfishness, taking up the cross daily and following after Christ, following after God. And then whenever the world sees that, it recoils and it responds in a confrontational sort of way. So picture the scene of what the Philippian church is going through. They are living for God. They are sacrificially living for God. They are denying themselves and, and pursuing the will of God. And the more and more they grow in their faith, the worse the persecution gets. That's exactly what's happening here. The, the, the greater their faith becomes, the worse the persecution comes. And Paul says... This entire experience, or this entire experience of their faithfulness, even in the midst of them being persecuted, is their sacrificial offering. So their faithfulness to God in the midst of their suffering is their sacrificial offering before the Lord, where they are denying themselves, looking to God and saying, God, have your way with me. I'm denying my 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 uh, my. Uh, my own life, I'm denying my own pleasures, I'm denying my own directions, I'm denying my own ideas, I'm denying what is standing in the way of my relationship with you, and instead of following my understanding, I am following you, and I'm saying, God, have your way with me. I may have this idea, I may have this understanding, I may have this preference here, but at the end of the day, I'm putting all of that aside because at the end of the day, I know that you know better. So I'm following you. And it's not easy and it's hard and it's painful and it causes sleepless nights at times and it causes confusion at times. But the truth of the matter is, is that this is an act of This is a sacrificial offering before the Lord as we pursue our God. So that's the image of the sacrificial offering. Just what now? What about the image of the drink offering? Well, uh, which Paul, and Paul is using the drink offering in order to describe himself. Well, a drink offering isn't something in the Old Testament, isn't something that was done by itself, okay? So a drink offering wasn't something that was done by itself, but rather a drink offering was meant to be done in addition to a sacrificial offering, okay? 
So a sacrificial offering, the animal is on the altar, it's being burnt before the presence of God for the remedi- for the forgiveness and the, the atoning work of, of sin. And then the priest would approach the altar, take a cup of wine, more than likely, and he would pour it upon the offering as it burned upon the altar. And the idea was that, that, that this image of the drink offering, it was the wine being something that was precious, something that, that caused delight, and it was being offered up unto something that was already a sacrifice. So you have something precious, and then you have something that was already a sacrifice, and you put the two on top of one another. They were meant to complement each other. Not only that, but it also caused a pleasing aroma to arise up to the Lord. That is the idea that's being offered here. So let's put all of this together. Paul's using this image to describe himself, the drink offering, and he's using the sacrificial offering in order to describe the Philippian church. What Paul is saying is that my suffering... And your suffering are not independent from one another, but rather my suffering and your suffering are complementary of one another. You're not suffering alone, Philippian church. I'm not suffering alone as I'm in prison, but rather our suffering is together. We are united in our suffering. We are, our suffering is complementary of one another. And the same is true of us here at Eastward, and we are a church body. That means that we are in a covenant relationship with one another. And that also means that when a member of the body, of the church body hurts, the whole body feels it. In East Gordon, we have had some hurting people, hurting members recently. I think of Miss Molly, and praise God, uh, Miss Molly, who's been been away from us for a little bit, but praise God, she's back home, and we look forward to seeing her soon. And then we have Miss Miss Bonnie, who is in the hospital right now with with pneumonia and, and pneumonia in both lungs, as well as congestive heart failure. That's not something that we take lightly. That's not something that we just walk through. That's not something that we just talk about and move on with our days. No, when we see a member of our church, a member of our, of our spiritual family going through a medical situation or a spiritual struggle, whatever it is, that's something that they don't go through alone, but it is a problem that the whole church feels. When a member of the church body hurts, the whole body feels it. We all feel it. Paul is saying that his suffering and the Philippian suffering is a joint suffering. However, there is something else which Paul is saying, and we have to understand this about what Paul is saying as, as well. We have, of course, already uh, spent some time unpacking this, but we have to understand this even still. We have to understand that Paul, what, that Paul says to his Christian brothers and sisters who are suffering that this is not a time to grumble and dispute. He's suffering, they're suffering, and he says this is not a time for you to grumble and dispute, but rather this is a time to rejoice and be glad in the Lord. So Paul says you are suffering, do not complain. When you are suffering, do not grumble. When you are suffering, do not dispute, but rather rejoice in the Lord. 
Now, this is not the first time where Paul talks about this. You may remember us talking about this before in Philippians chapter 1, verses 28 through 30, where it says, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. Paul says, do not be frightened about suffering because it's appointed by God in your life. And not only is it appointed by God, it's appointed by God for a purpose. And that purpose is in relation to your faith. One, to enlarge and encourage your faith. But not only that, but also to bring assurance of your faith. Because when you are going through suffering, you are, you are experiencing the same ridicule and the same suffering which Christ endured as well. So when we suffer, we are, we are fellow partakers of this suffering. And there will be a day when that suffering is no more. There will be a day when that suffering has passed us by. And there will be a day when the enemies of the Lord are no more. And oh, what a day, glorious day that will be. Our hope is in God. Our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is in God. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in God. So rejoice and be glad in the Lord. We'll look at verse 18 and then we will be done this morning. Verse 18. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I am so very thankful for verse 18. You know, sometimes I think uh, within Christian culture, we have created this idea that there is that there are those who are in ministry and it's their responsibility to be the worshipers. And it's their responsibility to do what the Bible says and to do, take care of the church in Christian manners. That's the pastor's job or the ministry leader's job to promote mission projects. That is the church, or excuse me, it's the pastor's job to be the one who witnesses and, and, and be the one who worships God even in the midst of suffering. Paul says, no. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This act of worshiping in the midst of suffering is not for a certain special type of Christian. It's for the church. It's for all believers. No matter how small your faith may be, no matter how experienced your faith may be, this worship, worshiping in suffering, is for all Christians. And in this we rejoice. We'll pray. We'll have our time of invitation. Father, we come before your presence now as your children come before your presence. You who are our Father who art in heaven come before your presence and we come begging and we, and we come asking, teach us. Teach us to worship you in all in all of our days. Teach us to worship you as you are worthy of worship. 
Lord, show us your glory. Show us that you are bigger than our problems. Show us that you are bigger than our temptations. Show us that you are bigger than our worries and our concerns and our fears. Show us how amazing and how great thou art. Show us who you are, Lord. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, may we respond in grace and may we respond in worship and love and adoration of who you are. May we worship you in a manner that you are most worthy of, our Savior and our King, our Creator and Redeemer. May we worship you in a way that you are worthy of. So Lord, we come before your presence now and we lay this down before you. We lay our complaints down before you. We lay our grumbling down before you. And we lay our disputing down before you. And we repent of it for we acknowledge in our hearts and we grieve in our hearts that this is not honoring to you. So Lord, forgive us of where we have fallen. Forgive us of our sin. And Holy Spirit, empower us to live and empower us to live for your glory and edify us and transform us to be who you created us to be. It's all this that we pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Will you please stand?